Yeah. Well, it sounds like it, and this is all stuff that if it went on in a in a private business in America, politicians would be outraged, incensed. Politicians on the left and on the right. And for some reason, uh, how can a government bureaucracy withstand something like this? Like sexual harassment, those sorts of things are wrong. They're wrong in the private sector. They're wrong in government. But th- there's just not any accountability, it seems. Well, I, I, I actually love the question because it points out a feature. Uh, I think some will call it that this is a feature of the system, not a bug. The feature of the system is once you get into government, you get locked in and you have a lot of protections surrounding you, ensconcing you with budgetary money, power and authority such that it's it's a feature of the system. And so to, to, to be able to go within or to penetrate those walls and to be able to maintain accountability, it requires hard work from outsiders, which is why we estate. Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of American Potential. Thanks for continuing to make this podcast grow. Lots of great feedback on our interview that we released just a little while ago with Speaker Mike Johnson. Man, what what a man. First of all, what a man of integrity and uh, someone that you know, being speaker is very, very difficult. But so many people have, have watched that episode and listened to that episode. I know it's well over, I think we're approaching 300,000 views just on that episode alone. Just incredible what you continue to gain and help uh, us grow this podcast. So thank you for that. Look, Americans have always maintained a sense of duty uh, towards looking after veterans who bravely fought to defend their nation. And that date dates back to 1636 when the Pilgrims actually enacted a law ensuring that community would take care of disabled soldiers. Then in 1776, the Continental Congress provided pensions for disabled soldiers in some states and communities provided medical care for them as well. Now, in 1811, the first medical facility was set up for veterans by the federal government. And over the years, different federal agencies were set up to help veterans. And in 1930, President Hoover signed an executive order that created the Veterans Administration. So why are we doing a history of the Department of Veterans Affairs? Well, because it was set up to help veterans who've dedicated their lives to protect this country. And it was not set up to help people who broke the law crossing into America. That's just not what the Department of Veterans Affairs was set up to do. But at the beginning of December, Fox News broke the story that the Department of Veterans Affairs was managing the care of those who crossed our border illegally. Concerned Veterans for America was quoted in this story and has protested this misuse of VA resources. And we touched briefly on this during CVA's end of the year episode that we released at the end of December. But I want to welcome retired Army Master Sergeant Jason Beardsley, who is the Senior Coalition's Advisor for Concerned Veterans for America to the show. Jason, thanks for being with us. 
Well, what an honor and what a great intro to uh, cover down on the history that I think a lot of people uh, don't appreciate. So uh, that that's a treat. Well, thank you. And look, I think the Department of Veterans Affairs, obviously, we, we I wanted to go through that because it talks about the intent of the VA and what it was set up to do. And this is not something that was created a few years ago. I mean, this is really from the founding of our nation, before the founding of our nation, this sense of wanting to do something to provide for the, the, the care of those who served our country. And so we'll get into this. But, you know, to me, that's really what I, I think that foundation is important. That is what the VA is for, right? Yeah, absolutely. We have a three or VA has three primary missions, uh, the delivery of health, the delivery of benefits such as a GI bill or housing loans and then mortuary affairs. How do we, how do we care for those who lay to rest? And those are the primary ones. And there's a fourth mission that's a sort of an emergency on call. Be prepared to help uh, should the United States undergo something, whether it's a hurricane, tornado or acts of terrorism. So this allows the VA to expand that role during national crises. Those are the four main missions. And I think to your point on the historical, um, precedent of this uh, function, it's important to realize how the community has also responded in the modern era to the healthcare needs of individuals. In other words, when VA starts, when Hoover, as you said, sort of commissions this, this idea that we're going to be a department, uh, they didn't have the same robust hospital network in the community that we have today. So there was a need to develop a very unique role for the federal government to be able to deliver that care. We live in a different environment. It's 2024. And of course, there are a wealth or a proliferation of healthcare type facilities that exist in the community and the private sector that did not happen then. So we're going to talk a little bit about that tension between sort of the, the, the care that's available and that which is sort of governed through the federal process system. That's where we get into this sort of complex, uh, the tension here you see with, with this recent development. Yeah. Well, and I think it's so important to have gone like going through that history, right? I think uh, most people would be when when they hear about what the Vet Department of Veterans Affairs has been doing to help people coming into the country illegally, I think they're going to be incensed knowing that history, right? That it's not the, the VA is not there for these types of things. It is there to care for veterans, and it shows that we're so far off from what our founders literally intended. Uh, and and even at the as I said at the founding of our country and even before that to care for care for these veterans so that's important but let's talk uh, a little bit about what the Department of Veterans Affairs is doing when it comes to people crossing into the United States. Yeah, it does get complex, and I think as you said, uh, uh, someone hearing this for the first time will probably be incensed. Right. And so they should be aware of how the Veterans Affairs Department sort of responds first to the allegation. The response, hey, are you taking care of people that cross the, the, the border? They're not veterans. They're, they're not even citizens. And the answer the VA will give is no, we're not caring for them. We have a very unique uh, role in our franchise service fund. That's like a mini business that the government runs. The VA runs a business and that uh, role allows us to process claims for ICE, the Immigration Customs uh, Service. And, and, and ICE has a responsibility to take care of the health of people they're putting hands on. They're putting in detention. So they're going to, they're going to care for their health needs. The question comes in, well, how does VA get involved? And it's because they're outsourcing a particular service administratively to ICE. 
That is uh, complex, and there's some law that backs it up. So the real question that we have as concerned veterans, particularly myself, I'm a combat veteran, is uh, the case I would make is that if it's this easy for someone who's not a citizen to receive care without doing any bureaucracy, no paperwork, he doesn't have to do anything except say, I have a need, and the administrations, both ICE and the VA will go to work to care for that need at no cost to the individual and no labor either. That's interesting because the veterans have been asking for that type of care since the Mission Act was passed in 2018. How do I get to go to my community, get treated, and have somebody else process and submit a claim so that my health care is taken care of? And it's phenomenal to me and outrageous that as a veteran, I go through layers of bureaucracy. I have to apply. I go through paperwork, and then I go through an approval process, and it gets stymied inside a large bureaucracy so that by the end of that, I might have waited four months, three months, maybe as quick as 30 days. But the difference is if you walk across the border, ICE puts their hands on you, you don't wait at all. You go direct to care, no bills and no paperwork. Yeah. So what I would argue is that's the outrageous tension here is yeah. if you can do that level of care for people that aren't even citizens, how are you not able to care for someone right. who actually put his life on the line? Amazing. Yeah, it is. It's it's outrageous. And I mean, the American people should be should rightfully be incensed by this, uh, Jason. I mean, you, you raise such a good point. Uh, they're there to care and and think of all the money that has been spent on the Department of Veterans Affairs and yet they still can't care for veterans but then they're adding this now as some kind of responsibility that I think most veterans would be appalled by I think most Americans would be appalled by the fact that they are they are doing this at the same time they're not caring for veterans you're 100% right. The only way you get away with this is political gobbledygook, right? right. Uh, c- couched in a lot of bureau- bureaucratic nonsense. There are laws that underwrite this. Congress was partly responsible for this. They gave the Veterans Affairs the right to run a franchise service fund, which is a complex thing to, to understand, but let's just call it a mini business, right? And if they charge somebody for those services, in other words, VA is not paying for it. It's not appropriated by Congress. Then they see this as efficiency in government. So that's how the VA is defending this, right? This is an efficient little model and we outservice these administrative fees to the ICE. They pay us back. It never comes out of the veterans budget. But again, the contention that we'll make is that veterans are backlogged for claims. If you look at VBA, the Veteran Be- Benefits Administration right now, they claim their backlogs are north of 400,000. And you mentioned the budget. We're, we're, we're getting into the $400 billion range and you have, th- you know, three, four hundred thousand people working for the Department of Veterans Affairs. So the real problem is we can't get service this quickly. We can't get cared for this quickly. Yeah. It, it is, it is a, a labor of a labyrinthine Byzantium sort of system that I have to go through to get my health care. But if I stroll across the border, raise my hand. I need, I'm, I'm a little sick. I've got a boo-boo, whatever. I don't have to lift a finger. The government does it for me, takes it off my shoulder. So that's, that's why enabling Congress to write a law that doesn't put me uh, at the whims of the bureaucracy, because it's clear they have not prioritized veterans against other needs. This one is an easy one for them. We're, we do this all day long, every day, and it doesn't cost us much money, but they're still dedicating those resources that are supposed to be for me to people that aren't even citizens. That's that's 
that's clinically insane. <laughs> yeah, it. I mean, every single member of Congress should be outraged by this. Every single one should be outraged. They should demand that there there be change. What? What? So, what's CVA's reaction right after learning about all of this? I think we were. Um, I I, I want to say alarmed, but unfortunately, we've been sort of watching uh, the Veterans Affairs for a long time. A lot of us, when I was a senior advisor for the administration, so we're very familiar with why these problems occur: lack of transparency, lack of accountability, lack of oversight, and those. I I, I want to just kind of take the. Let's take the Band-Aid off here for the audience. Those are not easy things to perform. The task that Congress has would put them in the business of having to monitor an agency that's as large as it is, it's, 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 it's huge, and have to be experts in all of the nuanced bureaucratic layers within the department. There's three and 400,000 people. So monitoring that is tough. That's why we think that the easy solution is instead of trying to right-size this and, and make everybody perform ethically and morally and, and, and maintain transparency, that's always going to be hard. It's easier if you just give veterans the same kind of access to healthcare that you have now determined was important for non-citizens. Like, I, I think if you just come up with that answer, we'll help you correct the VA by using our feet to vote. And that's how they do it in, in, in the GI Bill. That's how they do it with housing loans. I didn't have to go back to the VA to, to get the loan for my house. I, I shopped that in the market. I used realtors. I, I, I used private firms and we found a great loan. Same thing with GI Bill. So that's, that's all we're asking. Here. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's the background here too is, you know, with the Mission Act and, and, and other things. It seems like this current VA that the, the, under the Biden administration specifically has done everything it can to, to move veterans away from community care, giving them that as an option. I mean, we see that it's almost as though they're restricting veterans health care under the VA because they want it performed at VA facilities for job security, I guess. But at the same time, they're doing something like this. I mean, it's just it's 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 outrageous. I mean, just the two together in the same concept right. or paragraph is, is remarkable. And you're right. I think people should understand the department is uh, let's call it a non malicious actor. But right. what they really have to do, every bureaucracy has the same uh, sort of uh, foundation. They have to expand. They have to increase their role. They want to be good providers of service. They're wonderful people in the VA that are really trying to do the best they can. And for the government to answer those questions, they see themselves as we want to provide care for veterans. We think we do it best. So we're going to try to bring all those services back home. And that's what Secretary McDonough said. Let's make sure that we outcompete so that the veteran doesn't want to leave the VA. And I, I'm fine with that. You need to have that type of mentality. But the mentality should be balanced by my desire as the veteran to compete you against the market. I don't care what your feelings are. I don't care that you want to, to serve me well. I'm going to make a decision on how you respond in the real world. And in the real world, I've got to drive over an hour to get to the next VA facility. And I have to go through months of paperwork. I personally don't like that. You might see it as your role, but the way I want to see it is, no, I think I'd rather go down to the clinic that's 10 minutes away. And if we can get to that parity, the VA will be healthier, not because right now they're trying to, I, I, you know, we don't want to ascribe to them sort of malicious intent here is what I'm saying. They're trying to do the best they can.
They're just not good at it because it's stymied in layers and layers of bureaucracy. And I, as the veteran, I've been monopolized. My, my ability to choose other services has been restricted. So we're trying to remove those barriers, those obstacles to my choice and be able to uh, apply my energy in the market. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And we've talked about this on previous, uh, previous episodes of this podcast, but, uh, you know, VA, you know, I, I think it's the website. Is it the Mission Act uh, website that they actually <laughs> redirected? And now it's telling telling veterans that this is how great, you know, VA care is as opposed to community care kind of takes that off the table. That's what's so amazing about about this story combined with that is they literally are trying to restrict the kind of health care that veterans get while at the same time sort of under the table going out and doing this for people that are crossing the border. Just, right. Just and, and, and they're proud of it. They're rightly proud that they can deliver a service quickly. What's their service? They're processing claims for non-citizens. But I have claims. We're backlogged for veterans. So if you want to be right. proud of something, that that's where you should be it, proud. Be, that's be, it. Be, be proud about processing the things that you're set up to do, what Congress, right. the Congress of the United States asked you to do. Congress has not asked them to go do this as a mission, I don't believe. They've asked them to they take care of veterans, and they're failing at that if, if they're not properly doing it. That's really the way to see it. That's why uh, Chairman Bost was incensed, and, and uh, 40 other lawmakers, at least, the number's probably higher now, were also outraged, as you said. They saw this and had the same questions I think a, uh, a, a reasonable citizen, a veteran might have, which is, I don't understand how you take care of one cohort population that's not even a citizen – but the veterans are backlogged. They're, they're suicidal. There's, there's problems with the, the system. And then you mentioned the VA website for folks that don't know the VA in the law was mandated. You have to tell veterans what their choices are. You need to help inform them. How do they access community care? And so the website was typically, it was supposed to be able to do that. And so when the VA turned off that website, it was almost a tacit admission that they are, they're not trying to help you go out to the community, which again makes sense from a non-malignant agency standpoint. They want you inside the brick and mortar that VA has built. So the whole point is, uh, when Congress writes the law, they have a real tough job, which is how do I oversee the agency and ensure that they do this right? And over and over again, what you talked about before is what CVA learns is that it's really difficult to uh, to maintain robust oversight in an agency of that size. Right. So rather than try to do everything right and perfect and make all the lawmakers, you know, spend all their energy watching where the nickels are going, it's, it's sometimes easier just to give give the veteran the same walking you gave us with the, again, GI Bill or with, right. you know, the, the home loan. Just give us that type of freedom and we'll be, we'll be okay. Yeah. I mean, and not to mention that they are defying the Congress of the United States, right? Yeah. With the, with this website and so many other things and going out and doing things that Congress, frankly, didn't authorize them to do. They're going out and doing things and it's a violation of our, of our constitution, the intent of our founding fathers. Um, so how long has this been going on? How, how long have they been doing this with, uh, with people coming here? Illegally. That's a, such a great question. So the, the first thing to recognize is how does a, uh, because again, this is couched in VA being able to run a business. Right. That they've had an agreement with ICE since 2002 
that agreement was sort of um, founded on the concept that uh, the, the, the lawmakers, Congress, sought in 1994, the reform of government. How do we reform government? And their answer was allow for these agencies, or at least part of their answer, to run these businesses at uh, a profit. Now, just again, to take the audience through what that means is when Congress appropriates funds, they say, this is what you use the fund for. This is how you use the money. Then Congress has the right to oversee that money. Watch how it's budgeted. Watch how it's spent. With a franchise service fund, the agency doesn't use appropriated money. They raise it on their own and charge uh, for those fees, those services. So that's that money is not oversighted in the same way that an appropriated dollar is, which means they're making money inside the VA that they can use in ways that unless lawmakers are really careful uh, they're not aware of. And that's why Chairman Boss was a little bit incensed. Like, we, we didn't know you were going to be doing uh, non-citizen healthcare claims administration for this. That that wasn't our intent, as you've pointed out so well. The intent is to k- take care of veterans, get health to the veterans. So it's a complex, been going on since 2002, preceded by a 1994 Reform Act. And now Congress has the responsibility, I would suggest, to make the law right, make it work for veterans first. If you have excess money and capacity afterwards, okay, maybe then you look at helping ICE out. But let's wait till we get to parity so that veterans are not backlogged in the system. Yeah, and we shouldn't be helping. I mean, the VA, in my view, shouldn't be helping folks, uh, uh, other agencies, other missions until veterans are taken care of. And I, I think we're a long way from every veteran in the United States saying, you know, I'm, I'm good. On my health care, I'm I'm feeling good about it. I mean, there are real problems with veterans and the the service that they're getting and the health care that they're getting. And you know, this it's just it's amazing. Have you got a lot of members? It sounds like a lot of members of Congress are, uh, you know, incensed about this. But what are they doing about it? Are they trying to stop the VA from doing this? I mean, this begins with oversight, and it's yeah. a long process, and uh, it's challenging. I've worked inside the agency, so I have some empathy. But when you're looking for transparency and chasing dollars inside a $400 billion budget, there there are a lot of layers to comb through. And the agency has people that are, you know, again, non-malicious, but they're very good at their job, and they understand how to kind of work within and around the law. I'm not even saying they subverted the law here, because, again, Congress gave them the right to do this. But now Congress... Uh, uh, persons that are busy have the job to to spend a lot of their time and their staff energy trying to find out where where do these dollars go? How do they, you know, the big question they're asking right now, does this take away from veterans? And that doesn't take a PhD or, you know, an SES, uh, you know, in government to know, absolutely, if I'm not getting taken care of, but other people can walk across the border and get care instantly, we have a problem. Why can't can't Congress put a, a simple sentence in in <laughs> into a funding bill like the one they're doing right now that they're working on that simply says you know none of the funds for you know given to the veterans administration or none of these funds shall be used for that purpose they have to be used for veterans care well, I, you're like a, you're like the Swami, you know, the wizard being able to tell the future. <laughs> this is uh, precisely what uh, Chairman Boss did with the title of his, okay. uh, his, his bill, which is specifically almost word for word what you just said. Right. No funds will be used for this, and that's the title of it. So now it has to work its way through Congress and get bipartisan support and be able then. Once they pass it, and this is another challenge I'll just bring up for the audience: when you pass a bill, Congress. 
it means nothing. It has to go to the agency. It still means nothing. It has to trickle into the agency and it has to ensure that undersecretaries, assistant secretaries, uh, you know, department regional heads, chiefs of medical facilities, all of them have to understand the bill and then incorporate the, the, the spirit of that. Well, wow. You talk about a, you talk about a challenge. Yeah. It's very challenging to, to change culture. It's very challenging by word of law to make something happen out in Wyoming or Wisconsin. So that again is why CVA said one of the best ways to help improve the overall ef- efficacy of the agency is by giving veterans a little freedom and will help you decide yeah. where you're doing well and where you're not. Yeah. And it, it, let's talk about that because we, you, I mean, you've used uh, the, the GI bill as an example, you know, another great example would be educational freedom, right? Where you right. Know, people want to take, you know, if they want to trap them in a school system, that school <laughs> system is going to give them the education that it gives every kid. But if, Somebody wants to go outside of that system and have educational freedom and take it somewhere else. That should be their choice. That should be the choice of veterans and their health care. They should be able to go. They will, if they love their VA facility, they should be able to go there. If they don't, they want to go get community care. They should be able to do that. This is a simple concept. I don't understand why it is so hard to, to get the VA to implement that. Lots of reasons baked into the sort of the large agency sort of dilemma. When you start using government funds, especially in extraordinary amounts, lobbying interests pop up, you know, interests of different communities pop up, business interests pop up. So you're fighting the natural consequence of larger and larger systems. So you mentioned education. Education has a natural interest, right? The big brick and mortar schools don't want you spending GI Bill uh, money out in vocational aspects or, you know, small colleges they did not approve of. So whenever the government starts doling out money, there's a lot of people that come around the sure. trough to make sure that they can dominate where that stream of money goes. And so the veteran is always kind of the last part of the conversation. You can see that if you watch over the years, what happens to laws and implementation and and the secretaries that don't. It's a very difficult thing to change an agency. I watched it up close and trying to implement those things is tough, tough, tough. So, again, the solutions do not lie in uh, the wonderful hands of our U.S. government becoming a shining paragon of incredible, <laughs> you know, by the way, our founders, which you brought up at the beginning of this uh, show, they knew that. They, right. they knew that the government was always going to have a limitation on their capacity for care, their capacity for emotion, their capacity to be able to wisely judge between a, a charlatan and those who are deserving. And so right. they said, let's limit how much you're giving the government to do so that the individuals don't have to rely on that. And that's why we keep coming back to the same conclusion. Marsha Blackburn has submitted a bill uh, along with Congressman Biggs on veterans health care freedom. Veterans health care freedom, you can read about it on our site, the cv4a.org, that talks about how we anticipate or how we would believe the system would work best. Give a little freedom to the veterans, let them shop outside or inside, they'll they'll help with the competition. So those are the kind of bills we've supported because we think they're the most effective way to do this type of change. Yeah. What if even if the VA is only like doing a small number of uh, of immigrants, right? How does that affect veterans care? I I would imagine it does have a large impact, even if they're doing a small number. Sure. Yeah, I I think they they would argue that. Remember, um, ICE, I think last year um, 
was at 161 uh, million dollars of these claims that have been processed uh, by VA. So that's man hours, that's administration. So the VA has to take time and labor hours that are supposed to be dedicated to the veteran to process those claims. Maybe it's fast, maybe it's easy. The problem is we don't have real accountability inside of the franchise franchise service fund. So getting to the answer, how much time did it take? How many labor hours did you dedicate to this is tricky. That's where Chairman Boss has a big task in front of him. You've got to crawl inside this agency's uh, you know, a business model that's run outside of appropriations and and pull it apart and look at all the details. That's going to take time. The VA probably doesn't know it themselves. They have to go down and talk to experts who understand this. And at the end of all that, the veterans are still waiting on backlog lists. So that's the, that's the answer. Even if it's just a small amount, if right. we get to a number and it turns out it's, it's very small in the big relation of things, that's not even the point. The point is you still haven't taken care of veterans. Do your first mission first. And when you've evened that out and we're all sitting there going, I don't need care, I'm healthy. Then you can start looking at other things you want to do, other businesses you want to start. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but take care of veterans first. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I just can't imagine anybody listening to this episode is is going to see it any other way than than the government needs to reverse course and stop doing this. Um, so the House Committee on Veterans Affairs doing an investigation into the VA's Office of Resolution Management, Diversity and Inclusion. Now, what's all of that about? Oof. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, sometimes you you wish you were surprised by this. This is unfortunate right. and. Um, it's actually a very sad situation. This is an office that oversees how do you resolve conflict within the agency and what's going on and how do we maintain a diverse, uh, you know, sort of portfolio. And the problem is they've been um, uh, caught within sort of, let's call it uh, the traps of um, uh, unaccountable leaders, unaccountable mm-hmm. leaders who have been accused uh, allegedly of uh, activity that is very, Aggressive in the realm of sexual harassment. These are very basic HR type functions where, you know, once you get to a certain position in any system, you're very clean about how you uh, engage with subordinates or peers within the workplace. Well, based on everything we've seen in the public reporting and what's come out, there are some real tragic consequences when these agencies have don't have the uh, accountability and oversight. So people in this department or the, you know, the, the resolution department have been alleged to have engaged in consistent, persistent uh, harassment type communications with peers, subordinates, or otherwise. But what's almost, I'm not sure if it's as bad or worse is how the agency handled this. And the handling of it is, it's almost a, it's almost a cliche in how not to do things, right? It's by sort of obfuscating, shoving the reports to the side. Uh, Once uh, Chairman Boss, I think, uh, again, sends a letter in uh, late, uh, I believe it's uh, November. uh, I'm sorry, it was late September, I believe, saying we want to know what's going on here. This is because the people who were uh, victims of this allegation reached out to the chairman because they couldn't get resolution within the agency. They were whistleblowers on the inside that said, hey, we think we're, we're experiencing this type of uh, you know, behavior, and we think it's a problem. Nothing. Nobody did any actions. Nobody removed personnel. Nothing was investigated. So they reached out to the Congress. 
and said, hey, can I at least go to a representative and say, we think there's a problem. So Chairman Boss then has to reach out. And now we're three and four months down the road and we still don't have all the answers. We're starting to get them and they trickle out in, in text messages and communications that are um, any reading of them would provide a basic uh, understanding that there were a lot of breaches in behavior here. So how do you, how do you, how do you get accountability in a system that doesn't do it on its own? You have to oversee it. Again, you have to go outside the agency to come back in and lay the hammer down. And when we tried to change that in the 2018 Mission Act law, we said you should be able to fire people who aren't performing. Well, that, that, that would go into this clause, but the VA fought it. They fought it. They brought back a lot of people. They have shirked off their responsibility to maintain their own internal accountability. So now you have to take that away from them and you have to bring accountability from outside. It's a sad, uh, it's a terrible state of affairs. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it. And this is all stuff that if it went on in a, in a private business in America, politicians would be outraged, incensed, politicians on the left and on the right and for some reason, uh, how can a government bureaucracy withstand something like this, like sexual harassment? Those sorts of things are wrong. They're wrong in the private sector. They're wrong in government. But th- there's just not any accountability, it seems. Well, I, I, I actually love the question because it points out a feature. Uh, I think some would call it that this is a feature of the system, not a bug. The feature right. of the system is once you get into government, you get locked in and you have a lot of protections surrounding you, ensconcing you with budgetary money, power and authority such that it's it's a feature of the system. And so to 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 be able to go within or to penetrate those walls and to be able to maintain accountability, it requires hard work from outsiders, which is why we as stakeholders at Concerned Veterans for America, again, look at our CV, the number four dot a org website. You'll see a whole list of where VA has failed time and time again. Now, it can be depressing when you read through that because you start to ask what are they doing right? And they're, they're doing plenty right. So I don't want to throw them all the way under the bus. Right. The point is we have to work extremely hard to claw behind the walls, see what's happening inside these deep layers. And then with some sunlight, you know, shine a light on this. And that still doesn't do it because it's about culture. It's about how does a, an agency create a culture where I can sexually harass someone who's in my office and get away with that for years. That's a bizarre thing for most people to hear, yeah. but that's happening. So the question is, how does the government get away with this? The answer is because it's the government. Right. And the only right. way to actually hold them accountable is that you have to come from outside government and say, hey, we're not we're not going to yeah. deal with this anymore. But it's hard. Well, but I think, look, I think if this was a private company and there was a board of directors and they found out oh. that this stuff was going on, the CEO would be gone. This stuff, kind of stuff can't be tolerated, but for some reason it's tolerated here. Yeah, you, you're right. It, they would have been gone three months ago. This, right. this, we wouldn't even be talking about this. And so people have learned in the private sector, uh, you can't get away with it. If you send an email or a text to a peer, boy, <laughs> you might want to check with your lawyer first to make sure yeah. you're good to go. These guys don't care. It, to be able to do that, we have to recognize the type of behavior that we saw in these text messages suggest there was no fear. There was no shame. Yeah. There was nothing about bearing the consequence, which means it's systemic to the organization. If I can operate that way and I don't have even one sense that this is going to come back down on me, I, I must be very co- comfortable and very confident that it's not happening there. So there again, uh, 
a chairman outside has got to work extremely hard to put his staff to work and put a lot of man hours together to get to the bottom of this. Meanwhile, over at the agency, the culture suggests they they don't care. Right. Uh, tell us about the Restore VA Accountability Act. And if it had been passed <laughs> before now, how would that have helped employees at the VA? Uh, well, you know, probably take some shots for this, but I don't think it helps that much. Okay. You know, it, it has to be passed because the law needs to stipulate. But again, yeah. we've passed law before mission act and, uh, the office of whistleblower protection was passed. We stood up a whole office to help protect whistleblowers and right. fire people, including SES, the senior executive service levels is like generals in the, in the civilian world to be able to fire them. And after we passed that law, here we are. Five and six years later, you can't fire anybody. You know, there's there, there's unions, there's uh, stipulations. Now, it's not a, a a firing without process. And so this law, this accountability law, would, again, incorporate processes, rights for the individual. You have adjudication. You know, it's, a, it's the right kind of process. And it stipulates all that you would need to do the work to get rid of bad performers, bad behaviors, bad actors. The problem is, even when that law is passed, and I, I believe it should be and will be, implementing law is about culture within and the culture within if it doesn't have the um uh, the the heart change in other words if you don't have leaders who want this type of accountability you'll never see it and so the leadership is extremely important the white house has to be engaged so that would be in this case president biden because if it's embarrassing to him, he's got to lean in on Secretary McDonough. McDonough, Secretary McDonough has the option to want this. I saw Secretary Wilkie and Secretary uh, Acting Secretary O'Rourke up close and personal, working hard to deliver this kind of change to the agency. But I also watched from internal how the agency fights back, and 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 they have means to do this. These are government uh, employees who have a lot of experience in understanding the law and the loopholes and the protections available to them. So these are not easy fights and they have to come from leadership. So the law is one thing, but then leadership is another. If the two aren't in concert, you get a lot of um, confusion. You get this chaos. And so people operate in chaos. And that's where I suggest we are right now. Right. Wow. This is amazing. I I think, as I said, I think our listeners and and our viewers are just going to be incensed by by all of this to hear all of it if people want to keep up with what you're doing the stories that you're hearing it's at cva and uh, concerned veterans for america what's the best place for them to go that's such a great site uh cv the number four a dot org uh because we, we try to take the the burden off your shoulder here's what's been happening context here's the, sort of the background here's where we are right now and and you'll see overwatch or you'll see a list of va fails that's just a running tab of uh anytime we see the va doing something that i think causes veterans consternation or pain we're going to write it up and and we're going to do it because if um congress needs help doing this we are the stakeholders. That's our role as constituents. So go to CV, the number four A.org. Uh, keep up with us there. You can take action. You can write letters. Uh, let us help you see what the problems and challenges are. And then let's get your help in sort of continually enforcing what the oversight committees need to do by supporting them. They need they need citizens to, to, to kind of pound their fists on the table uh, for them to be able to go back to the VA and say, hey, we're demanding action. Yeah. Jason, thanks for joining us, and certainly thank you for all the hard work you and Concerned Veterans for America is putting into this effort to try and make this better for our veterans. 
Yeah, we got to keep fighting. I appreciate that uh, you're out there. This is part of that, engaging the people and making sure the stakeholders have a voice. Thank you for the great setup and the history and uh, uh, appreciate everything you're doing too. Yeah, you bet. And thanks for your service. We appreciate that as well. Honored, honored. All right, great. Well, listen, I mean, this this should incense you if you're watching this and you're you're listening to this right now. The fact that this is happening to our veterans um, – Every American should be writing their member of Congress right now, suggesting that they make this a top priority. This should be one of the issues that's being talked about as folks head into, uh, you know, choosing our leaders for the next uh, many years. This should be an issue that the American people are talking about. And I'll say one other thing. This is uh, the, the issue specifically about you know, illegals getting care through the VA. This is a problem caused by this catastrophe that the Biden administration has created at the border. It affects so many things. We see it. You see it affecting communities on the border. You see it affecting actually people traveling up through these dangerous areas in Mexico, being, you know, women being raped, abducted, kids trafficked all because of the disasters of the immigration policy of the Biden administration. And now you see it spilling over and affecting our veterans and the quality of care that they receive. This is a travesty, and we've got to do everything we can. So thanks to Concerned Veterans for America and to Jason for joining us on this. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.